What's bothering you? I know that's a little personal and it does make an assumption, but that's a question that our guest uses for great effect as a business coach and podcast host. It's also the key question he had to address personally to get himself out of what he calls 40 years of hiding. It's a very interesting conversation with Josh Carey, the hidden entrepreneur on the Manager Message podcast. Welcome to the Manager Message Podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message Podcast. I'm Jim Carr. Here, we discuss three foundational components for growing your business. One, your message, meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want to share. Two, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And three, management habits that will shape your culture and turn your improvements into an everyday business advantage. My new book is launching this fall from Career Press. It's titled, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. I'll keep you posted as we have some samples and bonus content that will be coming online soon. Simply put, it's much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. It wouldn't be easy to grow if you're weighed down by fear and doubts, hiding behind masks, trying to get everyone's approval. But that was how our guest found himself a few years ago. Josh Carey says he spent 40 years in hiding. Now, that doesn't mean he was invisible, far from it. Josh had a 15-year career as a professional actor and filmmaker, but the everyday search for applause and external accolades never got him past his fears or his feelings of isolation. Well, fast forward to today. Josh Carey is the hidden entrepreneur, a business coach, digital media and creative consultant, podcast host, and proud father of two young children. Josh's path from then to now has a lot of lessons And it might sound like deep, difficult territory, but as you'll hear, Josh has a lot of energy and a positive, practical approach. I think you'll find this very interesting. Josh, we are all buckled up here. Welcome to the Big Messaging Show. (laughs) Thank you, Jim. Buckled up. I love it. And congratulations on your upcoming book. Yes, very exciting. Thank you. Now, Josh, you have a lot of background in film and stand-up comedy and creative endeavors. We know that a lot of the best stories, a lot of the best films don't begin in the middle, or they do begin in the middle, not in <laughs> the very start. They hit some big inflection point. And you had such a point in your path. You were in your 40s. And some people might think of the stereotypical midlife crisis. It doesn't sound like you just decided to buy a convertible, <laughs> but you, you had some big changes that triggered in your life. So what was that inflection point for you in your 40s? Yeah, the big changes are called children. I know many can relate to that. And mine happened, well, at least my first one, not really by surprise, but it wasn't particularly planned for, which as we will see, that worked out all for the best. And if that's my midlife crisis, I'll take that kind of crisis any day. Because what I'm getting at is, like you said, I spent 40 years in hiding basically showing up in every situation, personal, social, business, hiding 
all of my power, all of my ability, which my goodness gets very exhausting very quickly. And I showed up that way in exchange as the person that I believed everybody else expected me to be. Now, you know, that's good old fashioned seeking approval. And the reason I did that was because at a very young age, I sold myself what became the very false story that, you know, I'm not capable and nobody wants me around. We've heard that story before, but I took that and ran. And when you do, what you wind up doing is going out into the world finding the people and the experiences that are going to validate that for you. You don't want anybody to contradict what you've sold yourself as truth. It's not the way we're wired. So for 40 years, I kept myself in that box as that label, wearing that mask that I believed others expected and needed me to be. And fast forward to the middle of the story, like you said, I was 39 years old. And while I always knew that I would want to be a father at some point in my life, I knew that I'd probably enjoy that role. I also knew that I never would have been mature enough in a healthy relationship to say, honey, let's do this. Let's have children. But the universe took control, God, your higher power, whatever you believe in, knew better and said, Josh, the time is now. I was already in a one-year committed relationship. And that September of 2012, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wonderful wife, she calls me up and she says, are you sitting down? I say, um, yes. And she says, we're pregnant. Now, she had no idea, obviously, how I was going to react. And truth be told, neither did I. But immediately, instinctually, I was thrilled. I knew that this was the right time and the right moment. And I said, this is amazing. And we went forward. We got married. And we now today, we have two beautiful children, a six-year-old daughter, a four-year-old son, who I always give shout outs and credit to because early on in their already young life, I realized that, hmm, I think I'm the child in this relationship here. And then I also knew that I didn't want to play that role. I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to go on as that childlike father. And I knew that I had to get things right. It's very interesting, Josh, what you describe, all very human and very familiar. For anyone who's ever had a child or children, it, it is a defining moment. Uh, and as the father of four, and by the way, Josh, you'll never completely figure it out, but at least the fathering part. You know, the show business business that you were involved in would seem from the outside to be a really different animal. And I want to explore that with you a little bit as well and how you came to realize some of the things that were holding you back. Now, all of us in business are performers to some degree, but it also seems, Josh, from the outside, that for those who are in the performing arts, you know, actors, comedians, professionals doing the kinds of things that you did for years, are particularly susceptible to the need for immediate approval and popularity. And maybe that's part of self-selecting into that sort of profession. Maybe it's part of what gets reinforced. But to be successful in films, to be successful uh, doing stand-up, you have to be likable and relatable 
first of all, is it true my assumptions about the nature of professionals in the performing arts and how that kind of reinforces that need for approval? And if that's true, the second part is, how did that impact you when you started to look back on where you found yourself right at that point of being about 40 and having a new role in life? Such an amazingly phrased question. We could literally spend three-part episodes on this alone, as you know. I just want to connect the dots for the listeners first, that whether we're talking about the performing arts or being a childlike father and not being the best you could be, that directly, directly and fundamentally ties in to your business. I'm living proof of that. I spent most of my adult life as an entrepreneur running my own various businesses. I just had a 10-year run running my own digital marketing agency, which went well, quote unquote. I was supporting myself and my family, but I couldn't get over the next level hump that I knew deep down inside I was capable of. So I just wanted to clear up that all of this, no matter what business or venture you're in, until you're ready, willing, and able to take an honest look within and tweak yourself, it doesn't matter what kind of tweaking of your business you're going to do. None of that matters. So I just wanted to connect those dots real quick. Well said. So I'm also curious because you talked about, and I don't know if it was more of a general sense of unease or a sense of you knew some things were weighing you down at that point of change for you, of that self-realization. How did you find or did you find some very specific things that you said, this isn't working for me personally with my growing family in my business as well? Did you, how were you able to unpack the things that needed fixing? Yeah, well, spending the life in the performing arts, it began in the eighth grade. So at that point, I'm 14 and, you know, not really figuring myself out, feeling lost, still seeking the approval. And I remember it very clearly. We were in class, changing classes, and a friend of mine, Renee Stevenson, I don't even know if she knows that this was the moment for me. We are crossing each other in the hallway, and she quickly says, hey, Josh, are you going to audition for the school play today? And just wanting to, you know, please everyone. I'm like, yeah, you know I am. And I'm thinking, oh, goodness, there's a school play I have to audition for. Okay, let me see what this is about. And it was a drug awareness play. And I auditioned. And as fate would have it, I got cast as the comic relief which, as you know, in any production stage or film or TV, the comic relief is the one responsible for easing the dramatic tension through laughter. So I don't know. The uh, director saw that I was capable of, you know, being a bumbling fool on stage and really getting people to laugh at me. Nobody was really laughing with me. But when I discovered that, that I am here on stage and there are hundreds of my, you know, friends and schoolmates out in the audience who I'm doing something and they are positively affected and reacting through laughter and applause from what I'm doing, I immediately said, oh, I need a life of this. So I went home and I told my mom, I said, mom, I'm going to become an actor. 
and I don't know if she cared or was listening, but I set my <laughs> I set my view right on that. I struggled through high school. I was a C and D student at best, but I got A's in performing arts class, and I was in all the school plays and community theater. I went to Montclair State as a BFA acting major, which you have to audition to get in, which I thought was a magnificent. And then a year later, got asked to leave, which, you know, was devastating, but really made sense because probably wasn't ready. But then as everything happens for a reason and fate would have it, I auditioned for an acting conservatory in New York City, which brought me to the city that I still love today, kept me there for 15 years on that path. So everything worked out and continues to work out in every regard. I like what you said about people who enter the arts as a performer, are looking for immediate feedback. While that's true, personally, I was looking, as I said, for that external approval, right? And we know in any application, that's not how it happens, right? That's not going to be the end-all, be-all. Oh, just give me the standing ovation. Give me the part. Give me the opportunity. That might be a short-lived little quote-unquote drug for you, but that's not how you're going to grow. That's not how you're going to evolve into the person you really know you can become. But that's, as performers, what we're doing. And yeah, self-selecting, you said, reinforcing. It's exactly why I went into it, to see if I can make a career out of this. And really, I did for 15 years, but it wasn't my ultimate calling. It was a path, something I needed to be on to learn and figure things out. And until I realized that, you know, through then the children and where my life took me from that, it's not about the external. It's not about getting the approval or said another way. It's not about getting the permission from others, which is really what it also comes down to, right? When you're insecure, when you're needy, you're really looking for the approval and the permission from others who, by the way, these people, you often don't even like or respect yourself. So all kinds of irony and humor tied into that. But you're looking for this permission to do something, to be something, or to act in some way, and it never comes. First of all, great points, Josh. But a very important question has just come up here. Do you ever know what happened to Renee? <laughs> Do we need to get our best people on that? We'll, we'll look at our, among our, our message manager listeners, we may have to do some snooping here. She is one of those people. And I say it truthfully, I don't know in my adult life what became of her, even though, you know, all kinds of social exists and you can find anybody. <laughs> That's true. Let's go to some of the lessons and bits of advice and guidance you've taken from your experience here and that you're helping other professionals, other entrepreneurs with. And one of the pieces of advice that I've seen you talk about and write about, and I think it's very resonant, you say to accept the awkward. And that one, you know, we talk here on this podcast a lot about finding your professional voice, ways to express yourself. And that is awkward itself for most people, even very accomplished professionals. Sometimes especially very accomplished professionals. I'm curious, Josh, in your work today, what are there common patterns, areas of awkwardness 
that you see with your clients and your podcast listeners and the things that they have a hard time dealing with? Yes. And it comes down to this. Except you're awkward simply means we are all individually, uniquely awkward in every way, in our own ways. In other words, if you were to just be aware and watch yourself behind closed doors, oh my goodness, you are awkward as it comes. And if you watch yourself in scenarios and interactions, and the, we are all awkward in every situation. But that is what it's about. That is simply our individuality. That's what makes us us. And what we do almost by default is we internalize that and we feel then that's what separates us from everybody else. And we feel separate and that's devastating. When in fact, that uniqueness, that awkwardness that is inherent to you in your way, me in my way, and everybody else in their way is what connects us. That's what makes us human. That's what makes us identifiable. That's what makes us a unit with each other. So by accepting your awkward, it means to come to terms with who you are for what you are. Because the more that you do, in your way, the more you are going to attract the right people who say, my goodness, I see you. I get that. I love what you're doing. I love what you're about. And that's really in any regard, in business, in life, in personal, and social, that's what it's about. But we fear that so much. We don't send the email. We don't push record on the video we desperately know we're capable and want to be doing. We don't forgive. We don't pick up the phone. We don't do everything because we have not accepted our awkward, which again is accepting who you are individually and uniquely is not different than anybody else. It is what connects us to everybody else. You're right. I mean, that is essential humanity, which is that mix of, you know, warts and flaws and stubbing our toe along with all the aspirational things and all the wonderful qualities that we bring to the world as well. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. So Josh, you have stated a process actually that you recommend, the acronym NOISE, N-O-I-S-E, that you have applied and that you help guide others through getting past fear, getting past awkwardness and anxiety and actually changing the game. Could you walk us through noise and how you think it is best applied? I would love to. So first of all, realize I was the book definition of anxious of anxiety, of depression, of a mess, of all of that dark stuff for 40 plus years. I was the book definition and I figured it out so you can figure it out. Again, seeking approval and being desperate and needy, trying to gain the accolades through stage and 
film, just trying to gain this approval and get the permission that never comes, there's a way out. Fundamentally, it begins by becoming aware of who you are and why you're that way without judgment. And we're going to go through each of the N-O-I-S-E for you so you can do this. But it begins with an honest assessment of yourself. You have to be ready. If you're resisting it, it's not time. But if you can say, you know what? I have a reason. I'm ready. Now is the time. It makes sense for me. I've had enough is enough. I want to do it for this. Whatever your why is, whatever allows you to say, yes, without excuse, I'm going to take an honest, non-emotional look into all the things I'm doing in a given day, And for me and for you, there are dozens of small, medium, and large things you do, habits and patterns, that are either positive and serving or negative and not serving. And the solution is to consciously and deliberately alter the negative by replacing a more positive habit. And as long as you are honest and ready to do it, it can happen. So I'll break down each of the N-O-I-S-E for you. It all comes down to emotion, how we're feeling. So much of what we experience day in and day out is a habitual pattern that something comes into our awareness and without even thinking about it, we react in a certain way. So the first thing you need to do when we're talking about emotion is you need to name the emotion. You have to put a name to it and identify exactly what that is. What's happening here? What is the emotion? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it despair? Is it loneliness? Is it envy? What is it? Could be uh, some ugly ones there. But remember, now's the time personally, we're going to take an honest look and put a name to it so you can see exactly what it is. Then the O, which is usually One of the hardest steps for clients I work with, you need to own that emotion. It's yours and yours alone. And this is good. This is a good thing. This gives you the power and the ability to take control and ownership and say, you know what? It's mine. And now I'm in control. I'm not looking to change you. I'm not looking to change my wife, my children, my boss, my roommate, my parents, whoever's in your life. You are not looking to change them. It's about you and your reactions. So own it. Then the I. You want to identify with it. Now you've owned it. Now it's all yours to say, I am angry. I am frustrated. I am jealous. I am confused. I am desperate. Whatever it is. You need to identify with it, and it's not about you proclaiming this to another person. It's for you and your higher being, whoever and however you associate, and now you have identified with it and taken it on so you can work through it. The S, now we are going to sit with it. 
This doesn't have to be a long, involved process going back to your childhood if that's not where this arises. It doesn't have to be a months in the working here. It could be hours, days. The point of sitting with it is for you to identify how, when, and where this emotion arises. Is it around a certain topic, a certain time of day, a certain activity, around a certain person? Got to become so aware of what's happening. Because remember, what happens is when this event happens, you habitually react with this non-serving emotion that we need to become aware of and put a gap between. So slowly but surely, we can create a pattern interrupt when we're aware that, okay, this is when it occurs. Now I can put something different and do something different in place to change that habitual pattern that always happens. So by sitting with it, You're becoming so aware so you can put space between and a conscious awareness between the thing that triggers this emotion and actually you experiencing it. And the E is the only logical next step that this leads to. It means you will evolve into the person you've always known you are. That's interesting. So name the emotion, own that emotion, identify with it, sit with it, not sit on it, sit with it, Uh and then evolve into the person that you've always known you are. An interesting point here, Josh, that to connect some dots here, very early on in this podcast, we had a guest named Chip Massey. Chip was a former chief hostage negotiator with the FBI and as well as a former minister. And he spoke about, whereas you are talking a lot about self-awareness here and how to evolve your own thinking and your own behaviors, he was talking a lot about what happens in very highly charged situations where he has to establish rapport and find a way to identify with someone who's very dangerous and they have no prior connection. And when you talked about the first letter of noise, the N, about naming the emotion, And one of the keys that Chip talked about is never let an emotion go unnamed, is the way he put it, because that is the way to get a very clear sense in the moment of what are we actually dealing with here and to understand it. So I thought whether you're looking at ways to identify with other members of your team, (laughs) ways to identify with the outside world, or as Josh, as you're talking about how to get a better handle on yourself, that that was a really important first step. One of the things that you may recognize some of these things in yourself, you may, uh, listeners, recognize some of these dynamics in somebody else that you care about in your professional life or your personal life. So as you work with people, Josh, are there prototypical good diagnostics or first steps, ways to get started on this path to evolving into that kind of person that you really want to be? Are, Are there practical ways to get started, kind of break the old cycle and begin the new one? Absolutely. It comes down to small, consistent 
adjustments. So what I did and what you can do is when you are ready to take that honest look, again, there's a few dozen things that you do or don't do, as it were, small, medium, and large patterns and habits that either serve or do not serve. So what you can do is identify throughout a day what you do or don't do and label it, is this helping me or not helping me? And the trick is what we tend to do when we want to achieve something is we have this great big grand goal. And the easy example is I want to lose 50 pounds in a week or right, whatever it is in a month or six months. I'm going to go to the gym five times a day. I'm going to start eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, and you have all of this goal that, you know, we know how that ends. And it doesn't have to start that way. For me, what I did is exactly what I'm outlining here. I changed small things one at a time because I know that this is a slow and steady process. It's a long game, but it's an effective game. So if you want to lose weight, as the example, drink more water get more sleep, walk or run 10 minutes, cut out the soda, right? There's just so many small, specific things you can do right here and now. And this is applicable to no matter what your goal is. So getting in the frame of mind that this is a slow and steady process that not only pays dividends before too long, it compounds on itself. And once you have these small daily wins, you have another one and another one and another one. And before you know it, you're changing your approach to your day, which is the approach to your life. And now you're living a series of moment to moment to moment that is just amazing that you feel great about, that you can start seeing clearer now, and you can start seeing some small wins. One of the things I've done, I'm sure many people listen, you follow other successful people. You read about or follow people who are doing what you want to be doing, and you pick up on little things that they are doing that you can easily do. For me, one of the easy things I kept seeing and hearing and reading about with the ultra successful is they get up early. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I'm a night person. I don't like getting up early. I like staying up late. And well, today I'm every bit a morning person. And this is coming from somebody who was a night owl my entire life. But my priorities changed and my reasons and why changed. And I made the choice, made the decision to put different things in place that'll help me succeed in the way I was ready to. One of them, getting up early. Get up 15 minutes early. That's it. And get that as a win. So small and steady adjustments to make better choices now is the way to begin. Josh, I'm reminded as you were speaking there of a maxim from Alan Weiss, who's one of the most notable, probably the most successful solo consultant around. And he's fond of saying, you know, if you get 1%, if you do the math mm. and you get 1% better every day, then in 70 days, you're twice as good. And uh, it sounds like you're, say, concentrate on those one percenters on a regular basis. 
I'm proof. I mean, I'm again, I came from a world of a lifelong, you know, four decades of misery, to put it bluntly. And, you know, now I'm out of that because of just doing what I'm talking about. Josh, may I, before we get to ways that our listeners can connect with you and keep up with what you're coaching and what you're thinking about and working on, selfishly, I want to ask you some, a different kind of question. Absolutely. Uh, You're someone, again, we've talked about acting, comedy, and those elements of performance. So from someone in that world, a student of that world, do you have a favorite comedic actor? Do you have a favorite movie? And why those would be the case? Why would those be your favorites? Great question. So a few different answers for those questions. I've been a writer my whole life as part of the career. And I've realized, you know what? Writing, it's just one of those arts and crafts, really, that people either love and can do or despise and can't do. And what I realized, just like anything else, it can be improved upon. And I I understood that writing happens to be something that People enjoy seeing good writing, and it's so applicable in so many ways in life and business, isn't it? So all that to say, I love smart and funny writing, and I appreciate intelligent humor to that end. So with that, Steve Martin, my goodness, one of the best writers and performers all around, anything he's in, I'm glued to. I also love Mel Brooks for the comedic genius that he is. And then all of my career, and today included, I was always drawn to the dynamic, perhaps the awkward dynamic, look how that plays a part now, between men and women at all stages of the relationship game, right? Courting, dating, marriage, all of the intricacies within that. So one film that I think epitomizes everything that I've just spoken about in that regard When Harry Met Sally. It is such a magnificent piece of writing, of directing, of musical composition within that. Billy Crystal, come on, directed Rob Reiner, really great. So just packaged that with just my love for the dynamic awkwardness between men and women trying to get it right and a comedic sense and intelligent sense to that. No better movie than When Harry Met Sally. Excellent choice. I can see why you would be drawn to that. And as I recall, it's been a few years since I've seen it. And of course, there are a few lines. I'll have what she's had. <laughs> There's some others like that that we remember. But one of the things I believe I remember, Josh, is we're pulling for all the characters. Hmm, very interesting point. So you mean there's no real villain in the movie? That's right. But it's all about you're hoping that it works out. And that there's no loser in all of this. And I think maybe that's part of the smart storytelling and writing as well and how the characters were put together. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt that it's all around New York City. That's true. One of my favorite places to visit. Well, Josh, this has been uh, a really great conversation. Where can our listeners follow you, find your podcast, and keep up with what you're writing about and what you're coaching about? Thanks for bringing that up. My podcast is The Hidden Entrepreneur Show, and the main hub that'll lead everywhere else you can find me online is my website, joshcarry.com. 
That's terrific. He is the hidden, well, maybe the not quite so much hidden anymore entrepreneur, Josh Carey. Really appreciate your time on the show. This has been fantastic. Thanks, Jim, for the invite. Thanks for joining the podcast, whether you are a returning message manager or if this is your first time in. We continue to build momentum here because so many of you have been recommending us to friends and colleagues, leaving those five-star ratings, and that helps. If you haven't yet done so, please take just a few seconds to tap subscribe on your way out and offer your rating and review. That helps the robots let other professionals know about this podcast. There's another free business messaging resource available to you when you can read the Message Manager Memo. It comes to your email inbox each week, a brief read with something you can put to work right away. You can sign up at jimcarr.com. That's J-I-M-K-A-R-R-H.com. And while you're there, you might know of a professional association or a company full of people looking for ways to improve their professional conversations and to grow the business. On my website, you'll see a speaking page with descriptions of my keynotes and programs. They're always tailored to your group and situation and the theme of your meeting. If you're looking to make your in-person events memorable and valuable, well, you can email me directly at jim at jimcar.com. We can set up a time to talk by phone if that's what you prefer. My direct number is also on the website. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.